Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Happy Friday. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Michelle Pichet, your co-host today, filling in for Jeannie. Today is September 4th, 2015. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk with our host. We'd love to hear from you today. Please call in to share your comments and questions. Now let's join Michael in the conversation for developing our understanding of Aramaic forgiveness. Well, thank you, young lady. It's an honor and a delight to be here with you and to have everyone join us who chooses to join us every day to do so as we share these ancient principles and these ancient tools. We are just completing a week in Branson where we did a corporate training this week and had a blast with some really sweet young people from St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, we're actually just packing up and getting ready to head back to Theodosia get the next level of things happening there. One of the things that's happening at Theodosia is that um, Terry Bowling, you've heard us talk to Terry before on the show, and uh, he spent two years at Heartland, and Terry is uh, kind of becoming more committed to getting Heartland to the next level of function. He's a contractor and has just done some awesome stuff, put a new roof on the building last time he was there. Lots of things happening. So we're looking at uh, a meeting. Terry's going to come and... uh, uh, joined us either the first or second week of October, and we had the thought of uh, putting it out there. There's going to be a gentleman named Stuart who's going to come from uh, Colorado and spend some time on the support team at Heartland, several months. And uh, so we're we're looking at perhaps that first or second week of October in doing kind of a, a work week kind of thing, just having people come together informally. Uh, we'll feed you, we'll house you, and we'll just kind of do some work projects and and do some brainstorming on what's next for Heartland, what's next for the property and uh, the facility. Uh, we're working on doing upgrades. Uh, you might have heard that uh, Terry actually a couple of weeks ago said, Michael, I'm going to make a commitment of $50 a week to, uh, to have somebody there. The, the property's suffered a little bit since we haven't had uh, somebody on the support team that's had uh, handy hands and able to do physical projects. So Terry came forward and said, I'm going to dedicate $50 a week. This young man who's a local handyman kind of guy, a real nice guy, hard worker, uh, said he would uh, come for $10 an hour. And so Terry hired him five hours a week. And I said, well, I'll do the next five hours. And then Patrick at a meeting last week said, I'll do 
the next five hours. So we've got uh, Hartman getting some TLC. We thank you uh, very much, uh, Patrick and, and uh, Terry and Dustin, who's uh, now a handyman, uh, independent kind of contractor sort of person who's, uh, who's just helping us to uh, to get things to the next level. And if you'd like to join us, from down for a few days, a week, uh, maybe maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, we just like to open the space for that. If you'd like to just come, we'll, we'll be doing some uh, some food programs. Uh, we haven't mentioned it's Ari yet, but who knows if it gets to be a happy enough thing. Ari might even come and do some of that awesome food for us. We just did so much this summer. It was great. Stuff. And uh, our sprouters getting to the next level. It looks like we've got a gentleman who's going to uh, start to dedicate himself to. Uh, to build in the Heartland Auto Sprout Machine. And so we're going to have those available, which we haven't had available for several years. It's just an awesome device. I believe it's going to be the food of the future with all the the uh, GMOs and the chemical sprays and the garbage that's being put into food. It's getting more and more difficult to buy real honest to goodness. Honest to yeah, that's a good word, I guess. <laughs> real food. And so... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the uh, the numbers would be today, but I remember about 35 years ago when I was doing a lot of research on sprouting and uh, um, starting to do more live food, I uh, was a gentleman who had done some research on sprouting, and back then, 35 years ago, determined that you could eat every nutrient that your body needed for 37 cents a day. It might be $2 a day now, but the live raw sprouts, I mean, we just had some fabulous sprouts this summer. And so the Heartland Auto Sprout Machine actually grows about five pounds of sprouts every other day, which supports a, a small community or a, you know, a small or even a large family uh, with this awesome, fresh, organic, you know, you, you just took it. I mean, you're putting it in your mouth, and it's still live and growing. It's not just raw, but it's live. There was an interesting research project that was done with some animals I was reading about recently, and they had gardens where they were growing the food for these animals, and they would bring the food in. They'd cut it fresh and take it in and prepare it, serve it to the animals that day. And there were some of their research animals that had escaped and were living in the woods and eating from this garden. And what they found was the animals that were actually eating the food live as it sat in the ground, had a, the, the animals they were doing the research with had very good help, but there was a quantum leap higher by those, for those animals who were actually eating right out of the ground, that actual live food and putting that energy in your mouth. I remember a few years back we had a garden with a bunch of tomatoes in it, and it occurred to me that the, uh, the squirrels really were tapping into the live energy and looking for that live energy. It wasn't that they were hungry. And I sat one day and I watched, and there were one squirrel who came, and he probably bit into, he took one bite out of each of probably 50 tomatoes. I assume gathering the life energy is what uh, what that squirrel was doing. And so eating raw live sprouts is, is taking that live energy into the structure. and It makes for a whole other level of health and well-being, and you do it for next to nothing. Anyway, so that's a project that's moving forward. We thank Matt for stepping up to the plate, having the skills, and uh, starting to, uh, to work on that project. And beyond that, I have a little... Uh, 
foopaw to share with you that I uh, I pulled yesterday. Jeannie and I were out and doing some errands and we're listening to some music and uh, the song uh, The Mamas and the Papas came on and uh, that song where they're talking about Mama Cass and the line in the song uh, is no one's getting fat except Mama Cash. Remember that song? Anyway, so I turned to G and I said, you know, I, I just, I, I don't understand why this group who sings and works with Mama Cass is, uh, is, is putting a line in a song that's broadcast all over the world. No one's getting fat except Mama Cass, who, of course, was a lady who was overweight. She actually, as I understand it, choked to death on a sandwich, how she passed away. But it just seemed so mean to me that they would do such a thing. And I had a little bit of emotion about it. And then Jeannie, of course, uh, you know, she's Miss Internet. She got on the uh, the Internet and did a little research and if you remember the, the song, some of the melody line of the song talks about how, you know, there's these guys who are tired of working for pennies and somebody else who after every song they pass the hat. Quinn and McGuire, they're getting higher in L.A. You know where it's at? You might remember those melody lines from a few years ago. Anyway, as she looked at it, the uh, the reference wasn't to Mama Cass getting fat. That was my projection, my brain cells. And, of course, there was no meanness in it. Uh, so I had to do a little work around meanness because that's how I saw and perceived it. And uh, what it really is talking about is, you know, there was this group of musicians. It was how the mamas, the song is actually a story about how the mamas and the papas came together initially. And Mama Cass was the only one making it financially. <laughs> Nobody, you know, everybody else was working for pennies and quitting the music business. And Mama Cass was making money. So, in the uh, the idiom of the day, Mama Cass was getting fat on her music. Not physically getting fat, nothing mean about it, but she was the, the fat cat. She was the one who was making money, and nobody else was. And, the, of course, the uh, Mamas and the Papas came around, uh, you know, formed around her voice and her awesome uh, presence on the stage. So, uh, you know, just, just a, a, a story about uh, how brain cells work and how our minds generate their realities out of content and recognizing that when I generate a reality out of content that's based in something other than love, I'm telling myself that I've got something in my mind other than love. And what I want to do when I do that is I want to forgive that. And forgiveness, remember, means remove. It doesn't mean let somebody else off the hook for what's going on inside of you. It's about removing what doesn't belong inside of you. And hostility and fear are corrupt data you know, you look back at ancient scripture and they talk about corruption quite a bit. And that's exactly what it is. It's literally corrupt data that produces inaccurate realities. And when we stand around and insist that our realities must be true, must be true about what we're looking at instead of recognizing that our realities always tell us more about the contents of our mind than the world we think we're looking at, then we get to live in a different world because step by step, piece by piece, we remove every subtle energy, every subtle frequency of hostility or fear until the mind gets to uh, process and present 
the way that it's supposed to, the way it's designed to do, instead of out of this hostility and fear-based perception that has so taken over the world. So just uh, an indicator of, uh, of just how the game works and, uh, you know, a little story about me in the next layer, another piece of, uh, of my work to do. And then uh, someone posted on Facebook this morning, actually sent me a private text message, and there's a teacher, and I don't have her name, although the person sent to me suggested that her name was in the article, and maybe it is, but uh, but I didn't see it, so I, I just did a quick reading of it. But I'd like to uh, to nominate this person as Teacher of the Year. Uh, this story is uh, from a woman, and you'll, you'll see the, uh, page, the post pardon me, on our, my Facebook page, and that's, if you're not connected with us on Facebook, it's J-M underscore R-Y-C-E. And so this woman who has a child in school with a particular teacher goes into the school to learn something about the new math that's being taught. You know, that old thing is kind of like, forgiveness. you can't do new math with an old math mind. You can't think with the mind of hostility and fear about things based in love. It just doesn't go there. And so it's a foreign conversation the same way as the new math is to the old math mind. And so after she uh, she learned a little bit about, a little bit about the math that her uh, child was uh, was learning, they got into a conversation. And then she shared this story, and I'd just like to read it because I think this person should be teacher of the century. And this is a story that needs to get around the whole globe. And, of course, I'd like you to go to the uh, Facebook page and share it. But, so I'm just going to read the story as it's written. It's pretty powerful. Every Friday afternoon, Chase's teacher, and Chase is the, child's, the woman's uh, child's name, Chase's teacher asked her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four children with whom they'd like to sit the following week. The children know that these requests may or may not be honored. She also asked students to nominate one student whom they believe has been an exceptional classroom citizen that week. All ballots are privately submitted to her. Every single Friday afternoon after the students go home, Chase's teacher takes out these strips of paper, places them in front of her, and studies them. She looks for patterns. Who's not getting requested by anyone else? Who doesn't even know who to request? Who never gets noticed or nominated? Who had a million friends last week and none this week? You see, Chase's teacher is not looking for a new seating chart or exceptional citizens. Chase's teacher is looking for lonely children. She's looking for children who are struggling to connect with other children. She's identifying the little ones who are falling through the cracks of the class's social life. She is discovering whose gifts are going unnoticed by their peers, and she's pinning them down, pardon me, pinning down right away who's being bullied and who's doing the bullying. As a teacher, a parent, and a lover of all children, I think that this is the most brilliant love ninja strategy I've ever encountered. This is the woman who's writing the story. She's a teacher herself. It's like taking an x-ray of the classroom to see beneath the surface of things into the hearts of the students. It's like mining for gold. The gold being those little ones who need a little help. 
We need adults to step in and teach them how to make friends, how to ask others to play, how to join the group, how to share the gifts with others. And and it's a bullying deterrent because every teacher knows that bullying usually happens outside of her eye, eye shot and that often kids are being bullied, are too intimidated to share. But as she said, the truth comes out on these safe, private little sheets of paper. As Chase's teacher explained this simple, ingenious idea, I stared at her with my mouth hanging open. How long have you been using this system? Ever since Columbine, she said. Every single Friday since Columbine. This brilliant woman watched Columbine knowing that all violence begins with disconnection. All outward violence begins as inner loneliness. She watched that tragedy knowing that the children who aren't being noticed will eventually resort to being noticed by any means necessary. And she decided to start dealing with that violence early and often in the world within her reach. What Chase's teacher is doing when she sits in her empty classroom studying those lists written with shaky 11-year-old hands is saving lives. I'm convinced of it, this mom says. She's saving lives. And so I think this woman should be teacher of the century. Uh, I have written to find out who she is. I don't see her name in the uh, in the post, but as I find out, uh, and if I find out, I'll certainly post it, and I'll certainly let you know, but, you know, just uh, amazing what one creative person with commitment can do, and then to take those creative ideas and make them available to others, I think is awesome, so I'd invite you to go to the Facebook page, post it, share it, put it around, take it Print it out and share it with your child's teacher. Uh, It's just an amazing tool for bringing forward human life into the world. And, of course, our definition of human life is hold a newborn child. When you hold a newborn, you get a direct experiential definition of human life. Notice it doesn't include hostility and fear. We're designed for that newbornness experience. We're not designed to live in fear and terror and intimidation as many in our culture would tell us we are and as many in our culture would promote and expand on. So the genius of one person touches the world and uh, we're going to do our part to make sure her genius gets out to the world on the next level and invite you to do the same. And so beyond that, Michelle, uh, is Dr. Tim with us today? He is. He is. Well, thank you for being here to support us. And Dr. Tim, how do you be today, sir? How was your support well, group last night? Uh, you know what? He can't talk. I, I, um, I'm blocking him from talking. How about well, that's now? Nice. Uh, there you go. Oh, we found you. <laughs> yeah, he's here. Tim, you know when you pressed the um, one to bring me up as I was testing the mute, and so you like disappeared underneath my cursor. Well, I'm back. <laughs> You're back. All right, we're delighted. I uh, 
had another support group here last night, and we had a brand new person and three other members who've been here before, and we watched the um, <clears throat> the PowerPoint presentation by Bill Cosentino with you know commentary from Dr. Tim, and it was quite quite enlightening and um then we had uh discussion about that process of course somebody was brand new to the process and then the other three have been coming for quite a while and some of them have actually done worksheets and so we talked about it and then somebody decided to do a worksheet on dr tim and it was very really dr tim you're kidding i've no, never no. had anybody have to do a worksheet on me well, there's your, there's some there's some worksheets for you right there on your sarcasm coming back out. But anyway, <clears throat> no, that's not sarcasm. Oh, okay. That's just play. That's just playfulness. It's just denial. This river in Egypt. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, uh, it was a very useful uh, worksheet, and of course. It, I have to commend that person for, you know, being willing to do a worksheet on the leader of the group and in his own office and with his license hanging on the wall right behind him and all that happy hoo-ha. It was really, really good because it was a very good ability to demonstrate we're all in this together. And he uh, ended up in the worksheet getting a, a, an an image of something very powerful from his childhood that he's very clear about. And then we were able to help him identify a whole series of other worksheets he could do around that. And so it was very, very useful. And, um, again, thanks to Bill Cosentino for that PowerPoint, which every time I watch it, I'm uh, I'm thrilled to have it. I really appreciate the added feature of having the graphic to show when a goal gets set, how it generates an image, and when a goal gets canceled, how it collapses from the mind. And and I love having it on the PowerPoint where I can just stop it and add some clarifying points for people who are newer or don't understand it at a at a deeper level, and then. It's just a wonderful tool. And we, you know, discussed that very powerful and useful worksheet process until, you know, right up to a little past nine. So it was a a wonderful group and a, a blessing to have that in my life. Fabulous. I hear you loud and clear. It's just... Uh so awesome to get to work with people on an ongoing basis for sure and you know one of the things we're actually working on is looking at uh, reorganizing our uh, our uh, YouTube videos we've got a, a YouTube channel called Planetary Healing and then there's one called Michael Rice and so they're a little bit divided and a little bit cryptic so we're working on uh, bringing those together and out of the uh, the videos that we just did in Asheville, the gentleman who did the video work has agreed to uh, to cut pieces of it up uh, so that it'll be you know small three four five minute snippets uh, for uh, uh, YouTube, and so that's uh, that'll be something new coming. I don't know how many pieces we'll have. I expect we'll have several dozen new snippets on uh, on YouTube for people to uh, to get to play with and, and uh, see 
uh, as many pieces of the puzzle as, as we can possibly share with you. That's exciting. Yes, it is exciting. Lots of exciting things happening. And I don't know if you were on the show in the early part when I talked about uh, Terry coming to Heartland in October. Stuart? No, I missed that. Oh, well, one of the things that's uh, that's happening is, you know, Terry has, uh, as a contractor, has made a commitment to help us to take things to the next level with the physical plant at Heartland. And so there's a gentleman named Stuart who's coming from Colorado and going to be on the support team for a few months. And uh, we're hoping that uh, Stuart and uh, Terry are going to be able to get there the same time. It's going to be either the first or second week of October. And uh, I'm looking at putting together, putting out an invitation to anybody who might want to come and uh, be part of a, a little bit of a work project during that uh, that time period, that weekend, whichever one it's going to be. That will, uh, and if it uh, if it turns out there are enough people, you know, we might talk to Ari, and who knows? I I don't know. He might even come down from Chicago. We had an extraordinary summer with food and uh, the Sprouter. We do have somebody now who has uh, said they're going to take on the uh, the task of building the Sprouters, which we haven't been able to do for several years. And so uh, there'll be you know lots happening that weekend, and maybe several days on either side of it. So we put up the invitation to anybody who might want to come for a few days or a week or 10 days or whatever that uh, we'd be willing to uh, feed and house and we'll just uh, see what we can get accomplished in that time period. And so we've also got a gentleman that uh, is uh, spending a, a sort of a local independent handyman who's spending 15 hours a week now uh, working around the property on different projects. So just, you know, helping to catch things up that have sort of been dropping off the last couple of years with all that's been happening. And so so lots of exciting stuff happening. That's exciting. It is. It is. It's very exciting. Very, very delightful. And Michelle, you have anything to share with us? What's exciting in your world? Oh. Nothing nothing really out of the ordinary. Just coming along. We don't um have any uh, hands up in the chat room is really quiet. Um, I have a a suggestion or a a request as far as something to discuss. Let's go for it. All right. So it was was, uh, a conversation I was having via text with a client, and the topic was uh, the the process of grieving and um, expressing that grief and and how do you hold a space for someone. And so... I was sharing um, kind of like the idea that um, if you're able to hold the space of, of space of love for someone while they're experiencing, let's say, in the case of sadness, that that is the healing process in action, and that is you know what what the mechanism is of the technical, I guess, aspects of it. Let's say I didn't say that, but I'm just so. The person said, well, I'm feeling sad because of your sad. And I said, well, that is um, not actually accurate, that your um, sadness is your sadness. Wait, let me see what I can find here. Um 
Oh, well, let me just offer um, just, just offer as you're as you're looking for that. Let me just offer a, a slight yeah. uh, bit of input on the language, and and notice how subtle the denial can be. When somebody says, "I'm feeling sad because you're sad," that's total denial. You know what what I'm saying to my mind is, "Your sadness causes my sadness. I don't, and now I'm dissociated from my sadness." That's the whole you know crux of the whole game of denial. When I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me, then I dissociate from what's inside of me and I'm unable to resolve it. And my offering to people is that if there is grief and loss that seems to be around something outside of us, we're not telling ourselves the truth. Our grief and our loss is something that's inside of us and it's not about someone dying. It's not about someone leaving. It's about what's going on in us and it's more of the denial to say, well, I'm sad because Joe left. I'm sad because someone died. No, you're not. You're sad because there's sadness in you. And, you know, all the wailing and gnashing of teeth that happens with people when others pass away, my take is, my offering to people is, that's all the unresolved junk that you've got around your relationship with them. Or the category of person that they are. It's not anything to do with their passing, or their living, their dying, their divorcing, their leaving. It's got to do with the internal content. But we've been so hooked in in the culture to this idea that something else made me sad. It's just not true. So go ahead. You found the text? Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to um, read you the thread and, you know, how I said it and Actually, I put in there that because she was having a little trouble understanding, I said, listen, next time I've got an opportunity, I'm going to talk to Michael. So um, basically she says, um, I'm curious to know if one can be sad for another and also hold space of love at the same time. And so this is kind of addressing what you just said. Um, well, our true nature is being a space of love, so that that's always present even underneath the sadness. However, generally, you're either in fear or being loved, but generally not at the same time. And she says, I disagree. You can be sad for someone that they lost someone, and then they hold a space of love for them. I guess that what I'm trying to say is um, uh, I haven't yet is where I feel sad for you because I know what it's like to lose the path you really care about. And I say, you can't feel my sadness. The sadness you're feeling is your sadness because you have sadness in you. And it may be related to sadness you had over losing a pet or other sadness, but if you are feeling sadness, you're not being loved. That's what I think right now. However, I'm going to double check with Michael because I was kind of thinking, well, if you're always a space of love, if that's your true nature and that's always there, if you are feeling the sadness, that doesn't, take away from the love that you already are inherently. And so then I kind of got like, well, wait a second, because I know we've taught in Laws of Living that it's you're either in a space of love, being love, or you're in health or fear. So my take um, would be that the, the truth of who we are is always love. That's all. That's the truth of who we are. And we can cover that up. You can't have light and darkness in a room at the same time. There are three filters over the frontal lobes of the brain, the part of the brain that holds intentions, 
There are three filters over the back of the brain, the part that holds perception. Only one filter can be active at a time. Can I be in my sadness and tell myself that my sadness is about your sadness and have compassion for you? Yes. Can I have love conscious, active, and present while my sadness is active? They're mutually exclusive frequencies. They're, they come through different filters. And so I can have thoughts that relate to my compassion toward you, but I'm not that active space of love for you. You know, there, there's, a, there's a, a good passage where Paul, who's always reaching for this presence of love, talks about if I have not love and and, you know, what what he's talking about there is this filter of Rachma and Kuba. These two filters are active, and therefore passing through us are energies of the truth of who we are as human beings, that that's the active frequency in us. But then he says, if I have not love, and then he gives a whole list of, if I give my body to be burned, if I sacrifice, if I give everything I've got, if I do this and I do that and I do that and I do that, doing those things is not the active presence of love. And his bottom line conclusion is, he says, if I have not, and I'll, I'll paraphrase him a little bit, if I have not the awesome active presence of love, then I am like a tingling simple symbol. And many people will say, well, tell me what I'm supposed to do in order to be love. And so if we watch someone who is the active presence of love and we mimic every behavior that they have, they say nice words, they say what we call loving words, they, you know, give money out of their pocket, they bring somebody into their home – Doing, we're not human doings, we're human beings, and doing all those things is nice, but it doesn't mean that love is the active energy within the structure. What means love is the active energy in the structure is when love is the active energy in the structure. So we're not human doings. You can't give somebody a list and say, okay, if you just do all of this, then we'll know that you are love. Hold a newborn child, you know what the active presence of love is. Can I remember words of perhaps support or caring for someone if I'm in my sadness? Absolutely, I can. But is love the active frequency? Is it the palpable energy that's present? And my offering is when Rachma and Active are, pardon me, Rachma and Kuba are active, then those two filters active means that hostility and fear do not pass through the mind and there is a palpable presence that literally is being emanated or sprayed out from every cell of our structure and and so you know, there's I, there's a, there's a story about the speaker who got up to uh, to present on the topic of love, and the little old lady afterwards went up to him and said, "Who you are spoke so much more loudly than all your words." We can say all the right words, we can mimic all the right things, but if I have not 
the active presence of love. And there's the practice, you know, there's the love exchange experience that we do in the intensive before we go into still point breathing, before we use many of the tools. We'll we'll ask people to sit face to face with a partner, get quiet, take a deep breath, and tap into the deepest, clearest love that you can find within you. And then, having tapped into that active presence of love, with your eyes closed, keep focused in that and intensify that love. And as you intensify that love, when you're ready, having intensified it, open your eyes and send it out through your eyes to your partner. And the the experiences that people have with that are just amazing. And it's that focusing on bringing forward the active presence of love. And then we suggest that for the rest of eternity, you do that love exchange with at least two people uh, and with yourself in the mirror. And as you do that, it becomes more and more natural to bring forward that active presence of love. How does that fit for you, Dr. Tim? Does that make sense? Michael, actually, I think he had to go. Oh, okay. We lost him? Okay. Yeah. Unless, well, he might be calling on his other, he has multiple phones. There's the one. Okay, very good. Thank you. This is me, and I'm I'm glad you threw it back to me. Michael, I'd like to add something. One of the first things that really grabbed me in the first talk I ever heard you give was you talked about total. There's a lot of background noise in somebody's phone. Can you hear me, Michael? I can hear you, yes. Uh, you're you're a little bit fuzzy, but I got you. You talked about total, perfect, conscious, active, present love. And when I heard that, I turned it into the acronym TOP CAP. So T-O for total, P for perfect, C for conscious, A for active, P for present, love. And so two things came to my mind when Michelle brought this up and having a discussion with somebody. The first one is, once again, this is people trying to figure it out. And you'll never get there trying to figure it out. Cancel the need to figure it out. Find a way to choose some behaviors or practices that when you use them, they can give you a different experience. This is about experiencing something differently. And what the experience is goes so far beyond words that words are only going to point me in the direction. They're never going to tell me. It's never going to describe it well for me. And then the next piece is, The consciousness is the key piece in the total, perfect, conscious, active, present love. Because the actuality is we're all made of the stuff of love. We can't ever be separated from love. But we can use our conscious minds to choose a focus of awareness that's other than love and create the dream of separation. So that would be what I would add. Total, perfect, conscious, active, present love is what arises 
when I set Rachma and Kuba filters in my mind. Yeah, well, thank you for that top cap. I'll uh, I'll remember that one. That's cool. That's a great an acronym for it. Top cap. Very cool. And Jeannie and I are actually on the road and running errands before back to uh, to Heartland, and our van is filled with uh, all kinds of refrigerator and frozen food, and we've got a stop we need to make. So, Dr. Tim, I wonder if it would work, unless Michelle has another question for me, to hand the show off to you for the next 20 minutes so that we can go get this um, this errand done and be on the road before our food melts. Well, if if my voice quality is good enough, I'll be happy to. You're good. You're on it. You're on it. Michelle, any other thoughts for me before I uh, go help Jeannie with this errand that she's gone in to do and uh, get on the road again? Yes. Um, thank you for asking. Um, I think the explanation is good, and I, I'm, you know, I was looking for a, a archive show to share with her, so this is perfect. And one thing awesome. that came to mind is that you know the filter can change between um, love and fear in one twenty-fifth of a second, right? And back yes. again. And yep. so you can we switch filters very quickly. The kind of idea where um, you know it kind of supports the illusion because your your explanation was perfect and it's the level of detail that I really wanted to like wrap around because the illusion maybe becomes that they can feel like they're holding the space of love and feeling that compassion, but then get right back into oh I you know have my pain from when my loss has occurred and it is yet unresolved and, and I'm touching it and maybe going back and forth between those multiple times and kind of sort of having a blended experience seem like that's the reality that I can do both I can hold the space of love and feel sad at the same time this is the thought um, the other thought cool. is Triggered brain cells. You're, um, do you remember, introduced in 1945, a French skunk that um, was a cartoon character, and he'd go around in the springtime and he'd talk about love. Pepe Le Pew? Yes, yep, the skunk. So when you were saying about your spraying love, I'm like, spraying love? Who sprays love? I'm like, oh, Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not sure I'll use that one. Okay, you uh, you have a safe trip back to, to Heartland. Okay, much appreciation. And again, anybody who might want to join us in October, touch in, say hello, and we'll uh, see what comes together. The uh, the more participation we get in that, the more of an event we'll make of it. So blessings and love. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tim. You're welcome. Okay, Michelle, We're driving the bus. All right. Well, um, I'll give you a guess who wants to who makes who wants to join the conversation. One of our dearest friends. Hey, Rex. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Tim. Hi, Rex. I was hoping I raised my hand as soon as I heard Michael was going to be doing and going off the program because I wanted to address it with him, but um, that's not going to happen. So I'll I'll share my comment slash question and see what you can come up with, Tim and uh, Michelle. Um, it's regarding the idea of sadness. And what I was processing is when uh, my son transitioned and died, obviously, um, I know that I have a lot of sadness in me from my past before his transition, before he died. And as I cleared more and more and just, there were moments in time when I just, felt neutral 
but I could I could still feel sad about him being gone. And I know that's the language Michael is addressing that is a dissociated state to my mind. And I know the information about when I tell my mind something is external event is causing my sadness, it it would, you know, need to, it would immediately start to retrieve evidence to validate that. And I understand that very, very clearly. Yet my question is, is there such a thing as just a from a neutral place, sadness that originates from an experience we're having in a moment. So, do you have a hotline to God? Do I what? Do you have a hotline to God? Yeah, we all do. Okay, well, that's that's where I would ask you to address that question. Okay, well, you would be the second person I'd like to ask then, or second being. Well, the, the idea is, from my perspective, I can't know. I'm just beginning to understand my life in a way that it's moving toward lighter, brighter, more joyful, more creative, say, in the past 15 years. And I'm learning new things every day. Is it possible that sadness just erupts because of some tragedies? I suppose that's possible. I don't know. I do, however, know that much of what I believe about the cause of my upset is absolutely hooey. It's baloney. It's the opposite of what really happens. And I know that now as an actuality because I keep demonstrating it when I do a worksheet or I do a mind shifter or I do the tapping and breathing and my energy shifts, even though the outside event that I thought was causing it hasn't changed at all. And, and so beyond that, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Is it possible that in some circumstances, I suppose it is, but I also suppose that I've got many generations of this craziness of thinking that people and things outside of me are causing my emotions, and I'm peeling off the layers as I live my life and they get triggered, and I'm really enjoying how my life is progressing as I peel off more layers, and that's all I can offer you on that. Well, and I thank you for that. It's it's For me, that's accurate as well. I recognize that um, from, from the same point of reference that I'm hearing you say, um, if something happens, I can clear that energy. And then the, that thing that happened still happened. I mean, if it actually happened, um, like my son dying, that actually happened. And he, in a physical body, left. He's gone. So um, what I what I have processed with that is it's, I know it's not the cause of my sadness, and that, it goes beyond that question. It goes to the place of, is sadness something that I can experience if I didn't have a past with, that's loaded with sadness? And I understand generationally, it's a, it's a ridiculous question because I also happen to think that we're linked to all generations and, and, and all levels and all ways. So 
I mean, that's it's not really a fair question to ask, but it just seemed like sadness plays a role in an experience I'm having in the moment, and I, I, I just I just was because it's the conversation. I was hoping I could ask Michael that until I appreciate what you're saying because I agree with what you're saying as well. I know for a fact it's not the cause, um, but yet I just had that question as far as. And I'll process it some more and see if I come up with anything um, clearer with that. All right. And and I appreciate the question. I'm glad you're asking it. And now here's a question that I've asked. I know I've asked you before and or I've asked other people on the show before. And it probably ranks right up there as one of the most irritating questions I've ever asked anybody or that Michael's ever asked anybody. And the question is, okay, so if I had God here, and I had the actual answer to your question, and I could tell you, then what practical difference would that make in your life at this moment? Well, Tim, I would be able to fulfill my need to understand, for heaven's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Rex, it it sounds like, um, you know, this might be the time for Tim to... I want a discussion about the codependency worksheet. Because when you're giving advice to people, then, you know, we know it's really our advice to ourselves. Okay, and you're speaking to Tim right now, I guess, huh? No, I'm just a bit, you know... um, Yeah, be clear, I'm not understanding what you're saying right in this moment. Who is it that you believe is giving advice, Michelle? No, Thank because you. he he asked um, he he identified um, his need to understand and his confusion. And um, earlier in the week, when I was confused, Rex um, gave me you know unsolicited advice about doing worksheets to get over the confusion and not being able to understand something. So I think it's like, it's like a ironic that we have the same conversation. Okay, I understand now what you're saying, Michelle. But the part that you may have missed is I was being totally silly, ridiculous. I wasn't being even remotely serious. So I would would invite you to consider then that that content you just surfaced about that that, uh, text may have been yours as well. And I'm willing to look at it. I I, know there isn't anything that I'm aware of right now in relationship to what I was just offering as a humorous statement to him. All right. Yeah, yeah. The joke, the I, the joke went over my head, so that makes a lot of well, sense to me too. Yeah, it was just a joke, and I, and I, and that. What I was sharing before is, I recognize the importance of canceling my need to understand because it blocks me from knowing the truth about a situation, or or something I'm working with, and and that's what I was inviting you to consider because it has been a history that you've had in the past which you may have been, you know, you may have cleared it completely, which would be awesome. And that's why I was commenting on that. No, it, I haven't cleared it yet, Rex. <laughs> well, that's a big one too. for all of us, Michelle. I mean, I, I have it come up on a regular basis, and I, I'm diligent with it, and I watch it, I see it, I breathe, and I go, oh, there you are again. And and this question about the sadness is a part of that too, Kim. And you identified it, and I appreciate that. And and, and my humor about it was somewhat tongue in cheek because I recognize, yeah, that's part of the question. And Tim, you bring it back to that, and it's a great reminder because what difference does it make? 
essentially. I mean, if I have sadness, why don't I just be okay with the sadness, remove it, heal it, do whatever I've got to do to to reestablish the conscious act of presence of love because that is my inspiration and aspiration in the moment. And and everything that you guys have been talking about relative to the love piece is really, really important because it, it, it literally for me, it's absolute, I'm going to say absolutely, it's impossible for me to have conscious active presence of love in my mind and in my body and still have something other than love that I'm experiencing simultaneously. And I love the way Michael explained it. There are two frequencies that aren't the same. They can't function in the same space at the same time. And I remember that analogy he used with darkness and light. That was really good as well. No, I have, you know, Rex, I was, um, when he said that, I was thinking about magnets. Like, if you have um, polar opposite magnets, you know, you can push them together, but they will not stick. So only one can reside in the space. And, um, Tim, do you remember you said on Monday um, when I was talking about uh, how difficult I find letting go of the intellectualization piece and your your statement was along the lines of, oh, no, letting it go is easy. Not picking it up again is, is where you, the challenge is. Correct. So that um, made a lot of sense. I've been playing that over in my head. Well, and well Michelle, so, I had I had a question, Michelle. Rex, hold on a minute before sure, we run ahead. out of time. Um, as long as you're bringing up the sadness piece, Rex, I want to throw out perhaps here's another angle that, that isn't exactly the way Michael talks about it. It's not exactly the way Guy Finley would talk about it, a way of mastery. But uh, Michael Singer in The Untethered Soul, he has a whole section of talking about he has a whole section of talking about these energies that arise within me that I try to choke off or deny and suppress. And that's the whole problem. If I have sadness come up in me, willingness to feel the sadness, let it flow, keep my breath open, is the quickest way to move through it. And then to be able to pick up a tool and dismantle what's underneath the sadness that's what this work has been so crucial about for me. It's one of the things that's really helped me move ahead by leaps and bounds compared to where I was. It's just recognizing I have this energy in me and I don't fight with it anymore. I don't try to chase it away. I use it as an alarm to let me know, oh, this energy of sadness or anger isn't the issue. Let me look at what the real issue is. And then I apply the tools. Absolutely. Right on. And for those who haven't tapped into it, Michael Singer has that book, The Untethered Soul, where I think he talks about it quite beautifully. Well, I, Tim, I appreciate, I appreciate your... Uh, you know, you're so well-read and you offer books so we can, you know, garnish some of the wisdom and the benefits of them. I ordered that book yesterday and I haven't I haven't looked at it yesterday, but I, I mean, I haven't looked at it yet. I've got it on my email um, on awareness. So I'm excited about that as well. I did want to mention, um, you know, Michael has mentioned a number of times. The other thing I wanted to do is to thank Michael for his gift. He'll know what it's about, him and Jeannie. 
um, sent me a gift, and I really appreciate it, and I wanted to thank them for it. And that was the other thing I wanted to say to Michael I wasn't able to. Uh, and then lastly, I am going to be um, off the line. I won't have a phone. I won't be listening to my phone for a week. I won't have any access to computer. I'm going to be going to a, uh, uh, for the most part, probably 90% uh, silent meditation retreat for a week. I'll be back next Friday. So I'm excited about that. I'm leaving this afternoon, and I've got about an hour yet to get everything finished up. So I'm going to say goodbye, and I know we're close to the end of the program, but I just want to let everybody know that 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 is going to be happening, and Michael asked me regularly why I don't interject on the program, so now he knows. All right. Good luck, Brett. Enjoy. I will. Thank you. Blessings, everybody. Take care. So, Michelle, do we have three minutes left or two minutes left? What's on the on the board? Well, we got um, two and a half minutes. I um, put the mic on for 901 just to say a quick hi and, and see if um, we can get started. Hi, yeah. Uh, 901, uh, this is Brenda, and I just have a quick question in addressing the issues, and um, and maybe you can address this then on Monday. My question was about the case of a loss, the difference between missing someone and feeling the sadness. And so I would like to have some dialogue and some input on differentiation. All right. Well, that's an excellent question, uh, as they all are. I, I would I would offer that uh, maybe on um, Monday's show we could talk about uh, the termination process and uh, saying goodbye to good And that would help uh, clear up that the difference between sadness uh, or grief and missing someone. And I, I would just quickly categorize missing someone as um, wanting to have back or have once again what I've had in the past. So it's holding on to something from the past. And that doesn't necessarily have to resonate sadness or grief. So um, I'm sure we can talk a lot more about that on Monday. Um, if you'd love to call, if you can call back on Monday early in the show, I think that'd be a great topic. Okay, we'll do. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you have a great weekend. All right, you too. Thanks. So, Michelle? 37 seconds. So go right ahead and run the, run the outro, and we'll see everyone again on Monday. Thanks, Michelle. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's 